So, um, so we're continuing our series uh, called Big Questions, Biblical Answers. Uh, so kind of recap, this is a series uh, from questions that y'all gave us. Just questions y'all had about Christianity, about the faith, about culture. How do we respond to certain things? What does scripture say on different matters? And so we just want to take these and we want to answer these through scripture. So a lot of these are very difficult questions and tonight is no different. And tonight's question that we'll be answering is what happens to people who have never heard the gospel? So what happens to those people that that have never had, let's say, a chance to hear the gospel? And uh, so before we get started, I just want us to show a stat um, in regards to what is considered unreached people or unreached people groups. Um, So unreached people group, what unreached means, it means little to no access to the gospel, or there's like a lack of enough followers of Christ and resources to be able to evangelize and tell others about Christ. So this is actually from what's called the Joshua Project. Um, they, that's like a research-based initiative where it wants to show, hey, here's unreached people groups and how many and what percentage. And so uh, this is currently what's on their website. So the total amount of people groups in the entire world is 17,473, but unreached is 7,441. So to make it even more precise, we have a little over 7.75 billion people in the entire world, the population of the entire world. And they say that 3.25 billion of that 7.76 billion is considered unreached. So little to no access to the gospel. So that is close to 42% of the entire world's population that is considered unreached. And so the question I want to answer tonight is, okay, what happens about these people? What about the, the person that never has an opportunity to hear the gospel? Or what about uh, what people think is, let's say, that innocent good person in like the depths of this jungle or on an island what happens to that person so that is the question that we want to answer tonight because a lot of people think okay what happens to those people is is really anything we can do about it that's that's a whole lot of people you know could god really turn all these innocent people away and so we just want to look at several truths that we see from scripture to answer these so let's do let's pray real quick and then we will jump in and answer this question together so let's pray dear lord Um, We come before you just as uh, fallen sinful human beings in desperate need of your grace as we try to tackle this really difficult question. So as we tackle this together, would you just free us up of any distractions, whether that be from our phone, from our neighbors, from things going on at school or testing, from things going on at home, for whatever could easily distract us and weigh heavy. Would you just help remove that from us and help us focus in on what you have to say um, through your word for the next few minutes? God, I just I, I admit and confess I'm totally incapable of being able to teach these truths without the power and guidance of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you help guide every word and every action through this? Holy Spirit, would you open up all of our minds here to grasp these truths? Open up our eyes to, to see even more of our need for Christ? To open up our ears to hear these truths? To open up our hearts so that, that your truth would, would go deep within our hearts and bear fruit? That ultimately leads us to being conformed more into the image of your son, Jesus. Helps us become more of the followers of Christ you called all of us to be, but also help us become the family of God that you've called us to be here. And that all of it will help us to continue to make Christ's name known. And we pray all of this in Jesus' powerful, transformational name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first truth we want to see is this, is that no one is innocent 
and that everyone needs the gospel. So no one is innocent, and everyone needs the gospel. So as you've, have you seen with us before, this kind of goes off the point we made a few weeks ago of why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And why does this happen to any innocent person? And we see that all of us, we are born dead in our sins. And so that the fact that worse stuff doesn't happen is, is, is by the grace of God. So we want to see that no one is innocent. So just the first kind of couple verses we see in Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, look, no one is righteous. No one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside because they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So because of this, that no one is righteous, everyone is born in sin, no one wants to seek after God. So we see the result of this in Romans 3.23, where it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all have sinned. And why this happened? Because of what we see in in Romans 5.12, where it says, hey, because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the fall of man in Genesis 3, that sin has infected and impacted just everything in the world around us. And so we see what you see in your your notes in Ephesians 2.1 and Colossians 2.13. It says we're born dead in our sins. Dead meaning like we want nothing to do with God. Like we don't want God. We rebel against God. We just want to look out for ourselves, live for ourselves, do what we think is best. And so because of this, because we're all born dead in sins and rebellious against God and everything else, that this kind of shatters that thought of what about that innocent good person? Well, there is no innocent good person. All of us are under condemnation and desperate need of, of God's grace to, to save us. And so we, we are born dead in sin and we all need the gospel. We need to hear it, to believe it, so we can be saved and brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so what does that mean by, by knowing the gospel, hearing it, and seeing it? Well, we want to look at two different types of revelation. So we've seen how Aaron's talked about how, how worship is the revelation of God and us responding to that revelation. Well, there's two different types of revelation that God has, one that is insufficient to save and one that is sufficient to save. So let's look at the first one. First one is general revelation. And so general revelation, it's available to everybody. It's available to all, but it's insufficient to save. So general revelation is available to all, but insufficient to save. So just kind of a working definition of general revelation is it's God's communication of himself to all people at all times in all places through his creation, the human conscious, and providence. So one of those things we see is in Psalm uh, 19, 1 through 6, where this is like part of creation, how creation points to a Savior, or how creation points to a God. And this is what it says. So Psalm 19, 1 through 6, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set out a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. So it's saying, look, like all of creation points to God. We kind of saw a couple weeks ago like evidences of God, and one of the things we see is we look at creation around us. It is so finely tuned and so detailed, just from the environment around us to even the human body to space, whatever you name it, any part of creation, it's so detailed that it ultimately points 
to Creator. It even says that the rocks cry out, that the mountains bow before God. Why? Because all of creation points back to the Creator Himself. And so this general revelation, that is just one way that we can see, okay, there must be some sort of higher being about this. There must be some sort of creator of all this, some sort of God that made all this and why we're here and where we're at. And so you see throughout those different verses have that that's another way that God reveals himself to us. Or another way we saw in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, all of us have the divine imprint of God on us. So all of us are made in the image of God, and we see that in different ways. It's like whenever you see something just really bad happen, you go, that's just, that's wrong. Like, that just something seems off about that. Or we look at things in history, let's say, and we look, let's say, the Holocaust and see that is just pure evil. Why do we say those things? Because we have that morality of God imprinted on us. Yes, part of it may be stained by sin, but there's still that original imprint on us where we go, hey, something's off. Something's askew. Or through what we saw, like, let's say our deepest desires, how, how even through the temptations of the world, it points us to only what God can fulfill, how he's placed eternity in our hearts, yet we try to fill it with temporal things. We realize, okay, there must be something great. Like, what is the purpose? Why am I here? And so we see all of these things around us. We look at ourselves and the world around us, and it stirs some sort of awe and wonder in us, but also curiosity. However, it points us to a creator of everything, a God who is supreme, But, as we saw with our last point, that because we are dead in our sins, because um, we need the gospel, is that we don't want to have anything to do with that God. Is that we see, okay, if if there's some sort of higher being that points to that, and we're dead in our sins, we don't want that. We want to live for ourselves. We want to take this creation and make it the most for us, and, and point to us, and provide for ourselves. That's what we ultimately want to do. And so, um... We see that you see verses that where our minds are, are tainted and, and wills and consciences, and we don't want anything to do with that. How it talks about us being dead in our sins. And so one of the ones I want us to do is, is if you have your Bibles, is in Romans 1, I just want us to look at a few verses. So we see Romans 1, 18 through 32. It's this long list that Paul is laying out in, in this letter, and he's saying how no one is without excuse, that God has revealed himself from the beginning of creation. And how it reveals himself to all, but we don't want anything to do with him. So in verse uh, Romans chapter 1, in verse 19, look at what it says. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So everything known about God, God has made plain to us. So God has made it plain who he is and how we can look to him. And then in verse 20, we see this. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So he has made his invisible attributes made known to us through creation, through the world around us, through how we're created, all of it pointing back to God. So it's saying, look, because of that, because of creation, because of everything we see around us, everyone, no one has an excuse. No one has to think, well, I, I didn't know because ultimately it points back to him. But then here's what we see in Romans 1, 21. The next verse. For although they knew God, they know God because of the world around them, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So instead of pursuing this God and saying, okay, what's more about this? I want to I know more about this. Instead, they're like, nope, I want to live for me. I don't want anything to do with it. I want to look out for me. I'm number one. I want to be the God of my life. I want to care for that. And then we see the effects of that in just verse 23, a couple verses later. 
And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So they replaced the image of God for an idol of whatever you name in creation. A lot of times we might think of idols as like this wooden statue, but it could be money, it could be popularity, it could be whatever you name it. We've exchanged that for the worship of that. So here's what general revelation does. It's available to everybody, but it does not provide sufficient enough truth to tell us how to be saved. So general revelation, we look at the world around us, ourselves, all the fine-tuning of it. Yes, it, it might tell us about a God who exists, and it might say something is wrong with the world, and we think, when we see injustice or things, we say something's just not right. It'll point to that, but it doesn't tell us how those things are fixed. It doesn't tell us how we can be reconciled or, or personally know that God. But again, the problem doesn't reside with God or his general revelation, because he's created everything, and he said it's made it plain to us. But instead, it is our sinfulness, and it's our rebellion against him. And so that is why we need the next thing we see, which is special revelation. So we've seen general revelation, where it's revealed to all people at all times and all places, and only shows that there, there is a God out there. Special revelation is needed by all, and is sufficient to save. So special revelation is needed by all and is sufficient to say. So here is just a working definition of what we can have for God's special revelation. So God's special revelation is God's manifestation of himself to particular persons at definite times and places, enabling those persons to enter into a redemptive relationship with him. So it's, it's God personally revealing himself to certain people at certain times and enabling them to actually have a relationship with God. And so God does this through a few different means, as you see, his physical appearance that we see where he physically revealed himself in dreams and visions that we've seen throughout the Old Testament. But the two biggest ones I want us to look at is through scripture and through Jesus Christ himself. So... A point I want us to make to step back is we talked about how general revelation, it's not enough to save. How Yeah, it might point to God, and, but it's not enough to save. General revelation, it might not be sufficient to save someone, but it can be an efficient starting point to go into, let's say, this special revelation to tell others about Christ and to proclaim the gospel. So one of the general revelations we said is how this world points to a creator. So we can start with saying, look how fine-tuned the world is. Look how beautiful the world is around us. And you can actually personally know the creator of all this around us. So we take this general revelation starting point, and it gives us a starting point to point them to Christ and say, look, this is ultimately made for God, but this world is sinful and fallen and is in need of redemption. And that's what Christ came to do. Or we could talk about how like, hey, I know you keep trying to pursue things in, in everything in the world. You try to pursue popularity. You try to pursue money. You try to pursue all of these things. And you, see, you seem to think that it never satisfies. And that's because it won't. Because the only thing that will satisfy is a relationship with Christ. So we take a general revelation and it helps us go to a special revelation. We even see that in different ways that Paul did that, whether it be to uh, the biggest one we see is in Acts 17, where it says uh, these philosophers had all these different altars, and there was an altar to the unknown God. And he says, hey, look, hey, I see that y'all are a religious group of people. Uh, you even have this like altar to the unknown God. Let me tell you, I know this unknown God, and he's made himself known to all of us, that Paul took something that they were all looking, desiring after, and is able to point them ultimately to Christ. 
And so, again, we want to look back to the special revelation of Scripture and Jesus Christ and pointing people to that. So, through this word, through this word, we get to know who God is. Um, we get to know how we can be reconciled back to Him. We can know how we can live for Him. It's able to explain the world around us. Why is this world created? The problem with the world around us. Why are the things the way they are? Uh, the uh, the problem, the world within us. Why are there some things within me that's just that's just not lining up? Why why do I feel this conviction in my heart? Why am I feeling certain things? And how Christ came to redeem us along with the rest of creation. So that's through Scripture, through Jesus Christ, we're able to see God physically revealing Himself to us. So He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and telling all to repent and believe. So how everyone is separated from God and needs a saving faith in God. And so, just a few verses we see that point to this special revelation, how salvation, we need salvation. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. That is what this special revelation is. We see in Romans 10, 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Or in Acts 4, 12, it says, There is no other name under heaven that people can be saved except by Jesus Christ. Or we see later on, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then we see even later that people don't really talk about John 3, 18, where it talks about, hey, whoever believes in Christ, they're, they're not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Christ is condemned already. Why? Because we are born with a sin nature. We're born automatically in rebellion against God. And this is why we see the biggest verse in Ephesians 2, 8, that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. So we're saved by the grace of God, where he sent Christ to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for all of those sins that we have for all of time. And then it's through faith, saying, okay, I believe in Christ. I believe what he did on the cross. I believe all that he did that is true, all that he proclaimed to be. I believe that is true. And it's through that that we are saved. There's no other way to salvation. Even John uh, 14, 6 says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one receives salvation except through him. So this is the gospel. This is what is needed by all. All those people that haven't heard, this is what they need to hear. They need to hear this because without the gospel, we remain dead in sin, separated from God, and this will continue throughout all of eternity unless people repent and believe. And so people that haven't heard the gospel, right now, they're separated from God. They need to hear the gospel to repent and believe to be able to be reconciled back to God. Because right now, they already stand condemned already. And so it's, God has placed upon us to go tell people about it. In fact, I just want you to hear the truths of Paul in Romans 10, verses uh, 9, verses 9 through 17. How I want you to hear the urgency. I want you to hear the importance of us bringing this gospel to those people who have not heard the gospel yet. So this is what he says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's laying out, this is how you are saved, that you confess with your mouth, you believe. So now he's laying this out, okay, then here's what we need to understand for people to hear. Starting at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But that they have all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we see that people can't believe in Christ unless someone tells them about Christ. And no one can tell them about Christ unless someone is sent to tell them about Christ. And so, unless someone goes and tells them. And God is calling each and every one of us to go tell these people. So you still might see this. Okay, Brandon, that, that sounds kind of harsh where you see that if we're separated from God and they never have a chance to hear the gospel, that they're separated from God forever, that sounds really tough. And I want us to look, address that with this next truth, which is this is that God desires for all to be saved. And God will provide an opportunity for all to be saved. So God desires for all to be saved, and he will provide an opportunity for all to be saved. In fact, that's really what it says in 1 Timothy 2, 4. It says, hey, God desires all to be saved and come to a saving knowledge of him. God desires for everyone to be saved and come to know Him. But then here's another truth, or here's another verse I want us to understand, where it says in Matthew 24, verse 14, that Jesus is actually laying out, okay, here's things to understand before the end comes. And here's one of the things He says. So in Matthew 24, verse 14, He says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So he's saying, until the gospel is proclaimed to all people, and they're presented with an to not only hear the gospel, but an opportunity to respond to the gospel, until that happens, the world won't end. But once it happens, then the world will end, because everyone has had an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. And then we see this because in Revelation verse 7, or sorry, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So God desires for everyone to be saved, to repent, believe in Christ, and receive salvation. And that we see in Scripture, God is going to provide an opportunity for everyone to be able to hear and respond to Him. And then the end will come. Because we see in Scripture that there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people surrounding heaven. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure how this, between the sovereignty of God and the free will choice of man and how all of that works together. And so, in responding, receiving salvation, I know that could be a sticky situation regardless of where you fall on that, but here is the truth of it. Is that we see how there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation that will be there. People we might not have never heard of. A tribe we've never heard of, from a place we've never heard of, that will be there in heaven. The other confounding thing is there might be some people that we see that they were doing a lot of good deeds in the name of Christ that might not be there in heaven. That, that we can't be the judge of it. We're just called to be faithful and proclaim the gospel to other people. And this can be hard for us to wrap our minds around, our hearts around. 
and, and how all of this works and how all of this plays out. And, and they can make us feel overwhelmed. They can make us feel a tension just in our hearts of, of how all this comes together and how all this works. But however, what I want to encourage you with is, is that I don't want this uh, tension to cause frustration or discourage us. Ultimately, what I want it to do is I want it to actually encourage worship. So we might think, God, I don't know how all this plays out. I don't know how between people choosing and you saving and your sovereignty and our free will and everything and just all this is so confusing and my head just hurts thinking about it and how all this plays out. Just instead, let it lead you to worship. Worship God, who is, has all of this under control, and will work out all things for His, for His glory and our good. We can worship God who, who actually desires for everyone to be saved. Who worships a God who, who sent His Son to die, to pay the penalty for all of our sins for all of time, and provide a way for us to be able to be reconciled back to Him. We can worship God that, that our finite minds can even comprehend a, a sliver of this. This infinite mystery of salvation. But we also worship God that He has made salvation available to all and chooses us. He chooses us to proclaim Christ and bring the gospel to all people so that they can receive salvation. So we see that God desires for all to be saved and will provide an opportunity to be saved. And here's how He does that with our last truth God sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. God sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. So, this comes from just a very simple verse in John 20, verse 21, where Jesus says this as he appears to his disciples. It says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So just as God sent Jesus to come to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for all of sins for all of time, um, to be able to provide an opportunity for salvation, now Jesus is saying, hey, I am sending you to go tell others about me in this world around us. That's what we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, as a lot of people call it. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. In fact, another way for we can think about it is it's actually saying, as you are going. So as you are going to school, make disciples of all the people in that school. As you are going to work, make disciples of all the people at your job. As you are going to whichever sport you play, make disciples as you're going there. As you are going into theater or into your neighborhoods or into whatever you are part of, go make disciples as you are going there. We see another version of this Great Commission in Luke's Gospel, where it says, Repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of Christ to all nations, starting in Jerusalem. What that means by Jerusalem is just whatever your personal community is. Like your personal community first. In fact, the, the big verse for our church is Acts 1.8, that we will receive power and that we will be witnesses for Christ in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Meaning we start in a personal community and then we expand outward and outward and outward and we keep doing that. This is what our church is all about. You might see things around saying, our Jerusalem, his glory. That's what we have for, let's say, what we call Mission Jerusalem. What is in our community of where we can serve? Well, that's MTSU's uh, Baptist Collegiate Ministry. That's Portico. That's Shepherd's Home. That's Journey Home. 
some of our mission Judea and Samaria, so what's a little bit outside of this? This Lighthouse Christian Camp, that's Mission Indy, when we go there to help with them. What's Mission's Ends of the Earth? We go through Way of the Cross, we go to Mexico and Nicaragua, because we want to bring the gospel to all places. And in fact, here, here's a passage I want you to see. It's in 2 Corinthians 5. 17 through 21, where this just clearly lays out like, look, not only are we saved by the gospel, but we are sent by the gospel. So look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if we are following this, if we're proclaiming to be followers of Christ, then we're proclaiming to have the same desire that God had in 1 Timothy 2.4, where God desires all to be saved. So if we're proclaiming to be followers of Christ, then we want to desire for all of our classmates, all of our family members, all of our friends, all of our teammates, all of the people that we work alongside, that they can be saved too. And in fact, Jesus has this in Matthew 9.36-38. Jesus actually looked upon this gigantic crowd. So he looks upon this huge crowd and says he felt compassion for them. Compassion means he cared deeply about these people. Why? Because they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's saying there's, there's plenty of work to do, but not enough workers to do this. And he felt compassion upon that. Do, do we ever pray about that? Do we ever look, let's say, upon our schools, upon our neighborhoods, upon our jobs, in the community around us? And do we feel compassion for those around us that don't know Christ? Does our hearts break for that? Do we look at the work around us and say, you know what, God, can you send me there? I see so much work. God, send me into the harvest to work for this. So we are called to take this message that we have received and take it throughout our communities. It said we've been reconciled to God and been sent by God. So saying, okay, hey, the same message that you believed and saved you, okay, God's now saying, here, take this, turn around, and go back to your communities and tell them about Christ so they can receive and believe the same message too. And so we are called to take this, that, that God most certainly might call some of us. I think when we think of missions and taking the gospel places, I think a lot of us, when we think missions, we think, okay, I got I to gotta drop all I have, I got to sell all I own, and just move halfway across the world and go to some unreached people group there, uh, people that might dress differently, talk differently, act differently, hold different culture, and bring the gospel to them. And God might certainly call some of you to do that. God might call one or several of you to that, and it's an honorable call. But above everything else, God calls all of us to be on mission. God calls all of us to live sent. So Jesus says, hey, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So the natural question is, where is God, where is Jesus sending us to? To our schools, to our jobs, to our sports teams, to our theater productions, to our neighborhoods. That is where he's sending us to, to proclaim Christ in those areas, to be an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador is someone that represents, represents a home country in a foreign land. 
So they represent the ideals of that land. So like America sends ambassadors, let's say, to different places throughout the world. God is saying, look, I am making you an ambassador for Christ in Oakland Middle School, in Oakland High School, in your jobs, in Providence Christian Academy, in Franklin Rhodes Christian School, in uh, Central Magnet, in MTSU, in these different areas you're a part of. He is sending you there to be a representative of him. In fact, that's what it says in Acts 17, 27. It says, he knew all of the boundaries everywhere that we'd be and established them in order that we might seek God knowing that he's not far from us. So think about this. There's a reason you're at the school you're at. There's a reason you're on the team you're at. There's a reason you're in the neighborhood you live on. There's a reason you work alongside particular people. There's a reason you are in class with certain people around you, even if it's a few or a lot. There is a reason you're in these places. There's a reason your neighbors are where you're at. Why? It's to point them to Christ, that God has placed you there to point people to Him. So we see this. How does the gospel respond to this question? How does the gospel respond to to what happens to people who have never heard the gospel? Here's this. Everyone since the fall of man in Genesis 3 has been born dead in sin, rebellious against God, and needs to be reconciled back to God. That we are able to see evidences of God around us, that whole general revelation thing, but as long as we are dead in our sins... We will distort and suppress this truth about God that we can know. So it's only by hearing the gospel about Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, that special revelation, and to believe in that in order to be reconciled back to God. We see that God desires for everybody to be saved. We looked at the beginning where it says all the whole 42% of the world's population, or we saw how this entire world has got 7.75 billion people. God desires for all 7.75 billion people to be saved. He desires for all of them to be saved. And he will provide an opportunity for all of those people to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel. That God, in his sovereignty, will save at least one person from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And God desires for all to be saved and sends us to all the ends of the earth to tell people about this gospel message. Not only are we saved by this gospel message, but we are sent by the gospel. God has divinely placed each and every one of us to be ambassadors for Christ and proclaim the gospel in these places. I want to end it on this particular illustration. So I want you to think about this. Imagine you have discovered the cure for cancer. I think anyone would want that, right? I think anyone would want the cure for cancer. If you have the cure for cancer, what are you going to then do? You want to share it? What else? You want to help people? What else? There might be, there might be loved ones. There might be family members that are affected by this. There might be friends that are affected by this. There might be classmates, teammates. So imagine that you discovered the cure for cancer and you just held it to, like you just kept it for yourself. Like how, how, what would that communicate? Imagine that you were dying from cancer, you discovered the cure for cancer and that you just kept it to yourself. What would that say? You're selfish. Why? Because we have, we have discovered this cure for cancer and I think we would want to take it to everyone we could. Well, I want you to think about this. There is people all around us in desperate need of the gospel. There's people all around us who are currently dead in their sins and in desperate need of Christ, in needing to hear this gospel message to cure them of this. 
So here's something I want to do. I actually did a little bit of research. I just want you to show the population for just some of the schools, just some of the schools that um, LSM is represented by. So the first one we have is Oakland Middle School. Total students, 1,169 students in that school. There's bound to be a certain percentage of those people that are considered unreached and need the gospel. Because think about this. Think about this. Is that we might, a lot of times we think about, let's say, the tribe deep in a jungle on an island that has little to no access to the gospel. Hey, guys, I want, I want you to hear me out on this. A lot of times we think of, let's say, the tribe deep in a jungle on an island that has little to no access to the gospel. And we think, well, we need to take it to them. Yes, that is absolutely important. And we'll be responsible for all that God has revealed to us and how he's entrusted us with the gospel to take it. So if he's entrusted us to go, let's say, to deep in the heart of the jungle, what about us here in America, where we not only have access to a single Bible in our language, but multiple translations, how we have multiple resources. And he's placed us here to go to these places to make Christ's name known. It's just Oakland Middle School. Next, we have Oakland High School. 2,260 students. And that there is people there in desperate need of the gospel who are considered unreached. We got Providence Christian Academy with 575. We might think that is small in comparison to the others, but there's people there that need the gospel. Central Magnet, that there's 1,240 students there. That we might, again, there's people there that desperately need the gospel. Or even Franklin Road. Yes, I'm even putting a Christian school up there. Why? Because not everyone that goes to Christian school is a Christian. I remember going to Liberty, and there was people there that were not Christians that needed the gospel. There's about 459 people there. That's still people that need the gospel. Total students in Rutherford County Schools, 45,292. There's close to 45,300 students. There's bound to be unreached people there. And you know what? God is calling us to reach it. This is our Jerusalem. This is the place God is calling us to. God has made you an ambassador for Christ in all of these different schools that we looked at. And in fact, I want to throw this next one up. There's some of you that are about to graduate. There's some of you that might go to MTSU, things like that. There's 19,100 or 461 students there. That God might be sending some of you there to reach that student body with Christ. That's what Mark Witt, who we heard this Sunday, that's what he's trying to do. And Haley and the rest of the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, they're trying to reach their campus for the gospel. That there's bound to be people there. Think about this. On a college campus, there might be people that come to this college campus from all over the country or even all over the world. And imagine if we're able to impact those people with the gospel and they're able to take this gospel to different parts of the country or different parts of the world we might not ever visit in order to point people to Christ and being able to take the gospel there. Guys, this is what God is calling each and every one of us to if we are a follower of Christ. So here's what I want us to do to end this off. I want to I issue a challenge and a cry for each and every one of you. Guys, if I could have everybody's attention here for just the next few minutes. Here's what I want you to do. What I'm going to do is, is I'm going to pray and, and, and this, but, but here's how I want us to end it. I'm going to pray, and then after that, I just want us to have a few minutes where I want you to just take time, not talking to your neighbor, not texting anybody, not doing anything, but I want you to pray to God 
And, and I want you to pray to God to lay at least one person on your heart that you know needs the gospel. It could be one, it could be five people, it could be ten people, it doesn't matter. It could be a family member, it could be a classmate you've never talked to. It could be a neighbor that you know or a neighbor you've never talked to, whatever the case is. I want you to take it, I want you to pray. Would God lay that person on your heart? In fact, I want you to even write on there too, where has God divinely placed you? I want you to lay, lay it out. I want you to write all the places God has placed you that you are involved in, whether it be a little bit or a lot, because I want you to see where God has placed you to be a witness for Him. And then, when you're ready, I have, um, I have a bunch of these little crosses right here. And um, I just want this to be, what I want you to do is, is I want everyone to at least take one of these whenever you're ready. Uh, when you're done praying, because I want you to pray, write these out, and whenever you're ready to take one and go back to your seat. It could be just one for you as a reminder of, okay, I'm taking the gospel wherever I go. It could be you just want to make a necklace out of it, and that's what you have to remind yourself that you're bringing the gospel wherever you go. You might want to take and grab one for each and every single person you wrote down on your paper, and that's what you want to have, and that you want to hold on to this, and maybe you want to give this to them after you share the gospel with them, or that you want to give it to them when they receive Christ. However, I want at least everyone to take one as a reminder that wherever we go, we're taking the gospel message with us. I don't care how many that you want to take. This is so important because there's people out there that are in desperate need of the gospel. And God is calling each and every one of us as our goal as a student ministry is to make Christ's name known. So let me pray. Let me pray. And then I want us to enter in that time of just prayer and kind of quiet. And, and, and if you, even if you need to separate from some people too, just to pray. But let me pray. Let us enter in this time. So let's pray. Dear Lord, would... Would you just burden our hearts for those around us? Would, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you help us look upon the crowds at our schools, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, and everywhere you've placed us, and would you give us compassion for those people? Would you just, would you just help empower us to be able to go bring this gospel message to those people? Would you just help equip us as only you can, knowing that if you have saved us and that if you have sent us these places and if you have divinely placed us in these places, then we can be encouraged knowing that you will provide everything we need to be a faithful witness to you. So Lord, would you just help us? Would you lay these people on our hearts that we know need the gospel, that we know that you have placed us in their lives or near them so we can point them to you? And by your grace, would you draw people back to you to repent of their sins, to believe in the gospel, to believe in Christ, and to receive salvation from him? Would you just help us with this? It is only by your grace we're able to do any of this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.